A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. All right, we're back at IMAX here in Las Vegas. Across from me is sitting David Adler, a familiar face. We keep meeting each other across the planet. Absolutely. And uh, David, we were just chatting real quick. Um, I saw you were flying in. This is what social media does, right? And, um, I would expect you totally to be here. <laughs> this is more than serendipitous. It, it is a little more than serendipitous, because you know, we know each other so well. Yeah. But I missed you in Washington. Uh, absolutely. So, only two weeks ago, I was yeah. in Washington, and, and, and we were chatting, and have you heard of this event, the World Culture Festival? And, and you know... I never heard of it. You never heard of it. And, and it sort of didn't... Like, people in Washington don't go to things in Washington. Yeah, like it's I too close. I, and it's like how many? I lived in uh, Washington for many years, and I never, like, would never go to like the museums. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing when you're in the town, exactly. You know, you, 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 or you have visitors coming in, yeah. and then you take then you time go. to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, no, it's funny. And you know, eighteen Alporn players, of which I was one. Oh my God! Traveled was, from Switzerland to I be part of your this. pictures. It was amazing. <laughs> I gotta say, you know, being a performer at an event where there were more performers than participants here at IMAX yes. in Las Vegas. I mean, there's probably, you know, way over 12, 15,000 people here. Yeah. There were 18,000 performers from 180 countries. And 450,000 people? 450,000 people on the National Mall. The, the big stage was 23,000 square feet in front of the U.S. Capitol, wow. and it stretched all the way to the monument with people that were part of this. More than a million people participated wow. both online and 450,000 on site. At, I mean, I, is it going to happen again next year, or how often do they do it? Well, this was a fourth edition, and to be honest, you know, us being in the events industry, not being aware of this event, is kind of bizarre, right? You know, there's and a lot of events like that that, there is. that are happening um, over under the radar. Yes. Um, yeah. But even the you know the one event, it's the one, XR, VR events, and things mm -hmm. like that. People in our world don't know about them. They're like parallel worlds happening yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this event, um, and and you know, let's 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 also focus on you know the book that you recently launched because yes. this is part of what you are trying to do, right? Celebritize those that are part of these things and how these things happen. I got in touch with this because uh, I happened to live in Switzerland and I, I started playing the Alphorn because I'm fascinated by things that are difficult and so I tried to do that. And the group that I'm a part of now, serendipitously, actually went to this event and performed at this event in 2017 in New Delhi in India. And 3.75 million people went to that event. Just imagine that. There were so more this one was a small one. So this was a small one, right? Jeez. There were four editions of this event. Um, one was in Bangalore, one in New Delhi, one in Berlin. And now the mayor of D.C. And, and the United States decided to host this event, which had a lot of representation from, uh, which was basically the, 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 the celebration of dance and music mm -hmm. across the globe for peace. So it's almost like what Live Aid at some point did, you know, which was known across the planet. You said something really interesting. I, I, when I was involved in New York City, yeah. 
they had a very active recruiting uh, mechanism to bring events to town, but a lot of the CVBs stopped doing that. Yeah. And I think it's a brilliant thing to bring back because Absolutely. events are where the world changes. It is. Everything it is. happens. There were three key sponsors as far as I know, and I, I tried to decode from the event from the inside because for once I wasn't the designer yeah. or, or, or the orchestrator. Our partner in the US, uh, Encore Hargrove, was actually the one that pulled together the event. And I was now just basically a participant, a, a performer being wrangled as one of the uh, 18,000 people that were unscheduled for the three days. We performed three times for three minutes, very short. You know, it's a long way to come for nine yeah. minutes of performance. Yeah. But how that was organized and how it was put together was absolutely phenomenal. From the inside, feeling that, and you know, uh, we opened for the UN Secretary General Ban Ki Moon, uh, and then at the end there was a meditation for 450,000 people, wow. and we played the Alphorn during the meditation and feeling human nature at that scale, wow. in that place, wow. in this moment in time, right? With a looming government shutdown on a Saturday evening that was basically before That's the right. Sunday that That's this happened. That's right, you were in all of the craziness. And the news, you know, hitting us that the um, third most powerful person in the United States was actually changing roles that very next day. And it was right up the street. And it was right up the street. Yeah. We were in the Capitol on Monday. Yeah. We did a pop-up performance at Union Station and in front of the Lincoln Mall. But feeling history in a place like that and how music and human nature connects okay. is actually okay. the best, I think, demonstration of the power of events. Oh, it is absolutely. And we're the ones that are uh, initiating it all. Because it's right? usually an event organizer that says, why don't we do this? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the fascination behind who's the event owner, why does somebody come up with this question, who helps facilitate and make this happen, right? So in this case, it, it's an international association, right, um, that is behind this, together with DC events and the airports in Washington area that were the core supporters. And if you look at the illustrious group of uh, politicians, um, humanitarians, uh, organizations that got involved in putting this together, it is like the Olympics of music and dance. Well, the spend must have been amazing for DC. That, uh, yeah. And the local people didn't even know what was going on. Exactly, yeah. Which is so weird. And this is, this is part of the fascination that we have to think about. Right? Like, like you said, when an event, an industry event takes place in my backyard, sometimes I don't even bother going, Yeah. right? I remember, you know, it took me a little effort, or not effort, but I went to the PCMA convening uh, EMEA in Lausanne, which is literally, you know, an hour and a half drive from my house in, in Basel. Um, but it took me more, longer to decide whether I should go to that and register for it, probably the day before, because you know you don't have to travel, you don't right. carve out the time in your agenda. Yeah, you don't think of it longer in advance. So proximity might actually be a disadvantage yes. right, yes. for the local audience. Well, you know, it's so funny. When we did our events in New York City, the first year we did it, it was all free. Yeah. And what happened was, the next year when we started charging for it, we got more people. Right, because people want to have a commitment, and they're if they're going to pay for something, they're going to really do it. So, so is it worth your time? Is it worth your time? Right, yeah. and, and so if, and if it's free, you're wondering. Yeah, you're what's wondering the catch, right? what's the catch? What's exactly. The catch? That's why I didn't kind of go down to the mall because I just oh, I don't want to deal. Like I don't even go to the Cherry Blossom Festival. Right, because it's like oh my god, all the tourists will be there. Exactly. So you, yeah. so you sort of like it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, but then what happens is when somebody you know goes, then it spreads like wildfire. Like exactly. the next time it'll happen, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pay attention to it. Exactly. Yeah. And this event over, I think this was the 42nd anniversary, no, the 40th anniversary of this organization, and they only had four events Wow. so far. But yeah. when they do one, 
Yeah. It's pretty epic. <laughs> well, it, it's really, really important, I think, to um, yeah. activate your, an audience. Yeah. I mean, it, people don't realize it's much easier to do that. And then you have the, the emotional. I mean, you guys, the journeys, you're basically mapping journeys that people want to take. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. And so one of the things we're going to do with uh, Hargrove Encore, which basically did the whole production, is we want to... You know, we want to capture this moment in time and see what it took to put that together yeah. because they did a phenomenal job at wrangling 18,000 artists into a three-day program, running a show that, you know, against all odds, when there's a government shutdown, the National Mall on the third oh, day would have been shut down. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Oh, my God. Um, it's fully open air, and we had the most fantastic weather for three days. Like, what does it look like if it wasn't like that? Like, so you take all these serendipitous choices yeah. and chances, um, and you know a thing about harnessing serendipity. The organizers must have been crazy with the shutdown. I mean, I've had all my friends who did events in Washington. They were going to have the rug pulled out from under them for all the big events that they were about to have in the next week or so. Exactly. So look at the stakes. And then it's funny, we actually got a TV crew from, uh, from the NBC channel and the Sky News actually recorded us as things were happening in the Capitol to approve the budget on Saturday. And we were just, you know, playing... Uh, the Sonne Grund, which is Swiss for the sun will shine. Oh, wow. And when the, when the cameraman came with their microphone and, you know, of all the 18 Swiss people, uh, they do speak English, but they were like pointed at the Dutch guy to take the microphone and say something. And they were asking, so what happens if the, if, the, if the government will shut down? And I basically said, you know, there are worse things in the world that are happening. Exactly. We were just playing the sun will shine and the sun shone. So it's interesting, um, one thing, because I moved back to Washington after 35 years in New York, yeah. and I started going to the embassy events, uh -huh. and the embassy events have become kind of their trade festivals, and the Swiss one is the best one of all. Is it? It is literally, they had all of your horn guys yeah. doing stuff, yeah. And, yeah. and every sort of major Swiss company, and they had 2,000 people there at the embassy, yeah. and it's become weird. 2,000 people? Yeah. Wow. Uh, they, it, become a ma it becomes a major cultural moment for these embassies. Well, as, as we say, you know, show me an organization's event and I'll tell you about their culture. Yep. Right? So if an event is the best expression of culture and the World Culture Festival is held in your own backyard and embassies and, and countries are branding themselves through culture. Um, I'm looking out to my left here to Seoul, um, Korea, and it says um, K conferences, I think, on the other side. I was just there in July with my daughter who said, we should visit Seoul. And, we were in Asia and Thailand and the Philippines and, and she brought me to Seoul and, and as we were visiting the city, what's very interesting is that I discovered a country that is obviously still in war, right? A country that is um, redefining culture over time mm -hmm. and if you come up close to, they have a magnificent design museum right there in the mm -hmm. middle of the center mm -hmm. of the city, uh, but K-pop Oh yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so we had you know the uh, the actors from the Squid Games come in here. They deliberately use music and cosmetics now as their two cultural drivers across the oh, planet. Yeah. Oh, Things yeah. that you don't realize, but yeah. my kids are very aware of, and it's the reason for them to want to go to Seoul. Right. Taking us there. Funnily enough, two weeks before, somebody reached out to me and said, "We'd like to translate the event canvas into Korean. Are we allowed to do that?" And I said. I'll be there in two weeks. Let's have coffee. <laughs> the world is getting smaller. It is. And music is driving. My, in my book, I think eight of the chapters were musicians. Right. That you, no one would ever thought of about them in the music sense. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, and it's just, you know, even from Wynton Marsalis, when he talks about how after they do an improv, they all hug each other. Yes. And it's a cultural thing and a tradition. And there is a... So what was interesting at the World Culture Festival 
one of the speeches addressed that the way we perceive the world is actually a set of vibrations and there are harmonics or disharmonics in those vibrations and recent science actually showed there's three major scientists Nobel Prize winners who have identified that what we see and perceive is based on vibrations right what you're currently listening to is a series of sound waves yep, coming yep. into your ears in the podcast being picked up by a microphone here and you might hear some background noises because we're in a hall with 10 15,000 people yeah. um, but everything we transmit are vibrations right there's their waves yep and whether it's light waves that our auditors will not see they will only hit, listen to us but their brain is working for its lunch to figure out what does it look like what are we pointing at yeah. when we talk about soul on our left and encore break free on our right and the event canvas on the wall behind us and I think this is the power we have. Right? Well, you know, uh, Andrea Sullivan, who we both know, yeah. talks about uh, the, the uh, emotional contagion, contagion that happens, which is basically vibrations and magnetism and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So all the stuff we don't know is so fascinating. It is. Yeah. And, and, then, and, and then being in this revolution for AI and seeing how that is changing everything, and it's only six months. Yeah. And I the mean, question is, it, you know, here the theme is human nature, right? Is it... Is it humanizing nature? Is it dehumanizing well, the unnature? Well, all what, it's what doing is doing what it's mapping nature. Exactly. I mean, you're doing exactly what AI does. Yes. It's just in a sort of a different yeah. container. Yeah. yeah. And and we have we all have a fascination to code and decode what's happening. Yeah. Right. At some point in time, we want to try to understand the dynamic. Yeah. Why do we right. connect why? with these? Yeah. You, know, you wrote it in the book, you know, Harnessing Serendipity. Right, I, I right. love the book. Uh, I was glad I was able to contribute yeah, to it. Yeah, you're fantastic. I, you're like one of my heroes. <laughs> but, but you bringing together all of these collaboration artists, as you call them. You got to meet a lot of them. You got to talk to a lot of them. I They're all out. amazing. I they love out. talking to you as well. I reached out to quite a few. Actually, Winston Marsal is one of my young, you know, youth heroes. I've yeah. met him at the Newport Jazz Festival in 1991, I think it was, for the first time live. Um, He's, he's, he's an idol. Yeah. As a former trumpet player, I idolize yeah. you know, what he has meant, not just for classical music, which many people don't know that he's very proficient at, and in the jazz scene, his whole family yeah. basically has created a lot of change oh, yeah. in the culture, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so you know my new line is, and, mm -hmm. and I got this, two things I did from the book, is that I, I think we're no longer in the event business, we're in the goosebump business. I love that. And that that's really, <laughs> whether you meet somebody, whether you're in a boring yeah. conference and you make a friend, yeah. it's that whole goosebump. And it's all the things we're talking about. It's the, it's the vibrations, it's everything, it's yeah. the unexplainable. Yeah. And that I also, it was interesting when we did our opening event at the um, New York Times, yeah. we started talking to the caterer. We were talking about collaboration and we the caterer decided, oh my God, the foods collaborate. Peanut butter and jelly have been working together forever. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> waffles, and uh, they and, have their uh, own harmonics. Yeah, right? they're all harmonics, and they and you know it's sort of the metaphor yeah. for collaboration. It is, right? and it was just interesting. So all of the food we served were collaborations, yeah. and, well, and when they resonate with each other, when they work, if well the harmonics together, work together. Yeah, you know that's what you know. We're both foodies. We know, and we're watching people experiment with that all the time. Yes. You know when it doesn't work. Yes, and you know when it does work. Yeah, uh, so it's really interesting. So, so I. And, it, and it's also, where's the perimeter of vibrations that we can accept, right? So, yes, yesterday, last night, I was having dinner with uh, Paul Gilkins, who was on our, he's a, he's a co-author of our book, um, and uh, Danielle de Jong, and 
we call them our executive babysitters. They're our executive coaches that help us progress in our business. So it was really fun to have dinner at them with them at um, Din Typhoon here in, at, at the Aria. Um, and what we were talking about is, you know, how food, you know, food is that communal moment of culture in which we try to please each other or somehow find a way to connect, right? So, um, and the food being produced there, originally from Taiwan, you're having it in Las Vegas. It's yeah. an experience between three people. You know, we know a lot about each other, but they had never met face to face. That dynamic of orchestrating even the smallest of gatherings. Oh, oh it's great. I, uh, one of the things I did when I was a volunteer to work at the State Department was I started the American Chef Corps. Yeah. And we brought a hundred chefs in to be ambassadors for the country. Yeah. And you would have thought we have given them, you know, the the prize of prizes yes. because they love the idea of service and and using their crafts and being able to be collaborators because they do that every night in the restaurants. Yes. And I thought that was really, really, it, it gave me goosebumps to, to come up with an idea to do that. Absolutely. And that's, I think the one thing about both of us, all right, we get our own goosebumps from when we come up with ideas. That's it. <laughs> and if they don't exist, we create them. Yeah, we right? create them. And, and sometimes you're, a, you're, you're just a, you just undergo them, right? Yeah. You, you, sometimes you, you, you fall into them and then you experience the goosebump moments that others have created. And yeah. this is what I really appreciate about IMAX and how you know Ray and Karina in putting together this over many many years. Uh, it's funny we were having that conversation with Paul and Danielle yesterday. I asked them, "What type of company do you think um, puts on IMAX?" And it was funny to re to decode what kind of organizational culture can create this kind of petri dish, right? Yeah, and after guessing and, and coming up with the different angles of what it could be when I shared that it is a family business that runs this event. I said, of course, I could have known, I should have known that. I could have known that. It is, it is not visible up front, mm -hmm. but it is in its longevity, in its legacy, in its dynasty almost of how it creates a culture over time. Um, and I think this is where events become real artifacts of the culture of oh, an organization. To totally. I went to an event on Friday night that gave me chills in terms of its potential. It was the Society of Presidential Descendants. Yeah. And it was amazing to sit there in a room with people who were related to all of the American presidents. Wow. And how you can harness that if they get together to do something, how they can bring red and blue together in America, let's say, or they can, you know, which is the, the competing factors. Yeah, yeah. And they can create a whole new world that could chart a new path yeah. because they're, you know, they've got the legacies of these families. It was just interesting watching Lyndon Johnson's great-grandson wow. with, with her mom wow. and seeing what does it mean to be part of those because in America it's all new it is I mean relatively it's a few hundred years old not it like is. your countries where yeah. like there are yeah. thousands of years yeah. so it's really interesting but you see the potential yeah. you know we have a, an ability to see it mm. where no, other people don't see it because we're doing other ones yes so mm -hmm. it makes it really interesting and I think you know if if, if, if uh, looking looking at, at um, I mean what Last year, I remember, we spoke, uh, David, and we set the horizon of change to this year, where you said, I'm working on this book, and the book is coming out, and Came out. I know it's stressful, right, to create a book yeah. with multiple people. Um, tell us a little bit about that adventure, and where is it today? Well, I decided to really make it, to do it right, and yeah. I, and I, I uh, interviewed people, but I, then I brought on a, an executive editor to help me write it. I brought on another editor to help me rethink the whole thing on where the actual pages, chapters go, yeah. because we decided to 
use the, um, the idea of a, of a record album as opposed to organizing it in ways that was too structural. Mm -hmm. And we just really rethought it and just rethought it and rethought it and did it over and over and over again to make it really good. It's so nice to be able to make something well-crafted oh, yeah. and, and, and to take the time to do it. And the fact is that we did it. We had a big launch party in uh, New York City the at Javits, the New York yeah, Times yeah. Center. The New York Times Center. And uh, we're still, but I decided not to make the book a one-shot. So I'm yeah. doing parties more ongoing. I didn't want to do a whole series at once. Yeah. I want to keep this as an ongoing thing and do them again, do this book again in that. some format. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, you know, it's, we did the audio book, we did the whole thing. And it's just been interesting to see how it evolves yeah. and how people discover it. Because a lot of people don't read books when you give them the book. One of the biggest problems with instant gratification is you see something on TikTok or and, sit, and someone saw it. You give someone a book, they don't read it for a year. Exactly. So you have no, you know, instant feedback. So you got to learn how to and ratchet if, down your expectations. And if it's published through a publisher, you yeah. don't even get access to the people that actually buy the book, yeah. right? So yeah. one of our frustrations is we have, you know, 12, 15,000 books in the first event design handbook that came out now in its third or fourth edition, I forget. Uh, we have no idea who these people are, yeah. unless they actually download the canvas and do some action yeah. as a result of the book. Yeah. One of the actions I took as a result of being part of your book was that I reached out to all of those that, and I think this is what I really liked about what you did, is you also took the effort of orchestrating the contributors, sharing their details, getting them to interconnect. Right. So you harness serendipity. You don't just talk about it and write about it, but you do it. Right? Yeah, we connected. A lot of them actually, I mean, you and a lot of others actually get together. I'm doing a party in Washington for the Washington ones. So I was going to do them in different areas because they're all people that, that are natural connectors. Yeah. And they and some of them are here right yeah, now. Yeah, right? so definitely. Tahir is Tahir here. Is we've, here. Got, we've, got, uh, we've got people that are contributors to oh, this yeah. very book. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Eric Solomon, I think, was here. We had a, f a few different people that were in different places where we were trying to figure out how do these people interconnect? And it's just, you know, it's all, it's all the serendipity of meeting them. And I could have done 200 yeah. easily yeah. in this book. Yeah. But, um, and I did take all my podcasts and I reformulated the podcast into and updated the articles a little bit. Yeah. And it was interesting because the podcasting, you know, it's, all this content is just one long, um, long tape. Yeah. But now with AI, you can now organize it even more and send it out in different formats in a different million different ways yeah. and create a chatbot so that you can create the brain wow. of the whole thing so that you can ask it questions and it will bring things together. And from the content. From the content. I haven't the done the chat spot yet, but that's my next thing I'm going to do. Wow. I'm doing I'd, a lot of that kind of I'd, stuff. I'd really like to learn from you how that works. It's um, easy to do. It's not expensive either just yeah. to create the chatbot. Well, actually, this very podcast is the, is the conversations we could not have in the book Design to Change. And so we're having perpetual podcasts and conversations about event design with event owners and event designers to keep exploring the topic over time and then set markers of change well, over time. you know what I'm doing also is I have the magazine in Washington, Washington Dossier, mm -hmm. which is a society magazine, and I just got 100,000 photos from that era. Wow. And I'm taking the content in the magazine, taking it out, ripping it out, and putting them on um, video avatars of real people to have someone read the gossip column from 1980. And it's so interesting to bring the old copy alive yeah, and put imagine. a QR code against the picture. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everyone has access to what it was like in, in, in uh, 1987. This is kind of like time travel. Time travel. Historic documents. Historic, yes, it right? is. It's interesting. 
and I think we have to be reminded of time, right? Uh, we're looking at our watches. Yes. Time is so precious when you have conversation. Yes. It, 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 it elopes us. Yes. Uh, thank you, David, for stopping by. Uh, always welcome. a treat. I always love speaking to you. We we just have these calls all the time. We we have to start doing it again. Absolutely. We should just call each other and just yes. chat for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> You're like my chat. Totally buddy. do that. Totally great. do that. Thank you so yeah, much for you. coming. Fantastic. And have a great show. Bye bye. Thank you. A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations.